0: Welcome to Earthling Talk with Annie the Earthling, a warm space where we talk mindfulness, spirituality, life and the wonderful, magical, challenging experience that is being an Earthling on this planet we call Earth. Thank you for choosing my podcast and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to the Earthling Talk podcast. I have here with me Sam and I'm so happy to talk to you, Sam. Been a long time coming. And I'm really excited to dive in and just really have a good chat about some hard-hitting stuff that I think a lot of people will need to hear and a lot of people would resonate with. So firstly, just tell us a bit about you, your journey, what you do for a living and how you got into this line of work.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I'm so excited to be here and finally having this conversation with you. Um, and I also just wanted to say, I listened to your podcast relating this and just wanted to say how much I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing about this. Cause I think, you know, it's really helpful to hear when other people are, go have gone through this same journey. Um, Cause it's not something that everyone talks about. So yeah, I just wanted to say how much I admire your vul- vulnerability from your episode.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And I think like just talking about it felt like such a release it felt like i finally kind of could move past from it or like get get it off my chest so yeah it does it does feel really good to you know stop hiding it and keeping it a secret yeah i love that
1: um so yeah a little bit about me um so my name is Sam i am a binge eating recovery coach and my journey, I, I actually got into this line of work because I also struggled with my relationship with food and my body for about a decade. Um, started when I was in high school or it really started probably before I was even aware of it, you know, just little things that you pick up from, you know, your parents and their relationship with food and the people around you and, um, It's just interesting when you start to think back to uh, where it all started. It can be a little mumbled, jumbled thinking back. But yeah, uh, I think my journey really started with the intention of wanting to be healthy and also wanting to, you know, fit in. And I, at the time, I was just starting a lot of unhealthy behaviors with food. I didn't realize it at the time but you know with the uh innocent uh intention of you know wanting to be healthy and at that time thinking that that meant being skinny and you know losing weight so yeah so I got into this line of work I always knew I wanted to help people in some way and I struggled with my relationship with food for around a decade And it was this long zigzag journey. I was so confused, you know, throughout that time of what it meant to have a healthy relationship with food and, you know, just being so confused with all of the different messaging being sent through diet culture and society and, you know, uh, just looking at, you know, my parents' relationship with food. And um, so I, yeah, got into this line of work through my own personal experience of, struggling with orthorexia, with emotional eating, binge eating. And so again, this long zigzag journey got me to this place of healing my relationship with food and wanting to be able to support other women through this journey. So they didn't have to feel confused and lost and without support, like I did throughout my journey.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's so so, so many women and probably men as well, but so many humans out there that are suffering with eating disorders and not talking about it. So I think sometimes it can feel really isolating, but it's because it's not spoken about. It's because we hold it down and we don't tell people and we're embarrassed. So then, you know, when someone does speak up about it, you're like, oh my God, like there's somebody else going through it as well. So I think, that the fact that you're helping people get through this and move past it, I think is so admirable. And I really just want to pay thanks to you. And I wish, I wish that I knew you existed (laughs) about, I don't know, a couple of years ago, or I wish that I knew that. I think that I didn't really know that there was something wrong as well. Like I, I didn't really, at the start, I don't think I even knew that bulimia was a term or an illness. And I just kind of didn't really realize I was doing something wrong or doing something that was detrimental to my health. So I guess, what would you say determines having an eating disorder? Like for somebody listening that might think, Oh, like maybe something's wrong. Like, does it have to be extreme anorexia where you're in hospital or bulimia or yeah. What does it take to sort of determine that you have an eating disorder?
1: Yeah. And I just want to say how much I resonate with what you were talking about, about being so confused with, you know, well, first not realizing that there is something wrong because disordered eating is so normalized in society that, you know, a lot of behaviors that we're doing, we can think are quite normal because so many people do uh, partake in them. Um, And also I was actually reading a study recently uh, related to this, and uh, it's by a res- well-respected eating disorder researcher named Cynthia Bullock, and she did a survey. This was back in 2008, um, where she found that, and this, is, this was a study done in America, um, yes. so this is, uh, but she found that three out of four American women have disordered eating. Wow. And so it's, you know, a lot of people and just a a few other details in the study, she said 53% of them are dieters and these people are already at a healthy weight and they're still trying to lose weight. Mm. Um, And then she also mentioned that 39% of the women say they're concerned about uh, what, sorry, they're concerned about what they eat or how their weight is and how that interferes with their happiness. Um, so I think, I think when it comes to like, when I was figuring out that I struggled with binge eating, I was so focused on how much I was eating the fact that I was binge eating. I remember, you know, counting the amount of days that I, uh, wasn't binge eating and trying to stop binge eating that way. And I think what's really helpful is to more so look at your relationship with food and what's underneath it. So asking yourself questions like, you know, when it comes to food, do I feel stressed out about what I'm eating or what I ate in the past or what I will or won't eat in the future? Um, just, yeah, asking your questions, yourself questions like, do I skip meals? Do I ignore my hunger? Do I only exercise to lose weight or work off, uh, you know, the past weekend's indulgence? So really asking yourself questions that come back to, that reflect your relationship with food instead of uh, in the clinical way, how they can really focus on more of volume of food. I think it's important to look at what's underneath it. Um, and to, to answer your question, uh, you know, I brought up that study because so many women do struggle with disordered eating, uh, which doesn't always fall into the clinical realm. And so, you know, that's where I come in with coaching, um, where I help people that struggle with subclinical eating disorders and are more struggling with disordered eating rather than a full-on eating disorder.
0: Yeah. That's the thing because we feel like, I always felt like, well, I don't have an eating disorder because I'm not in hospital with anorexia and I'm not skinny enough to have an eating disorder. So I always kind of, I think that's why I kept it hidden for so long and didn't tell a soul because I was like, well, you know, I feel like it's almost, it felt like it was embarrassing to share the fact that I was bulimic, but like I didn't have anything to show for it almost. Like I felt like, well, I wasn't skinny enough. So like, I don't want to tell people that I've like struggled for so long because they'll think I'm just looking for attention. And it's just so hard to speak about, especially when you're in the thick of it. And there's, yeah, so many little things like you touched on about, you know, cutting out food groups or exercising over exercising to counteract the fact that you ate something that's a bit indulgent and there's so many little things like that that can contribute to an unhealthy relationship with food and dieting and exercising and yeah we think that it has to be this sort of intense thing but really we could have such an unhealthy relationship and not really realize it because it's so normalized so normalized to cut out food groups or listen to someone on Instagram or TikTok saying, you know, you shouldn't have this food group. And especially with so many nutritionists out there that have all their information readily available on Instagram and everyone has their own bias. And I think that's very clear, but it's very hard for everyone else consuming all of this information because it's so polarizing and so opposite that it gets so confusing. Like I'm like, what am I meant to eat? And then sort of coming back to just listening to my body and actually asking my body what it wants has been really helpful for me. Um, I don't know if that's something that you would suggest, but um, yeah, Yeah. I just had to come back to listening to my own body because there's so much information out there and just around exercise as well. At what point do you think like we can identify that we have an unhealthy relationship with exercising and dieting do you think it's at the point where we're cutting out certain foods and food groups or do you think that's okay Mm
1: -hmm. so i think when it comes to i'll kind of split them up a little bit but specifically with exercise i think it comes back to your intention behind it um you know are you is the sole reason that you're exercising to lose weight and to shrink your body and are you doing exercises that, you know, you don't enjoy and you're like forcing yourself to work out mm. and you're stressing out if you, you know, skipped a day of exercise. Uh, I think, you know, if you're answering yes to those questions, I think that it would be important to, you know, really look at, look behind the intention of why you're exercising. Um, and then when it comes, when it comes to food, I think, Um, And dieting, Uh, I feel like (laughs) dieting in general can slowly lead to, you know, binge eating, emotional eating, just really having a out of control feeling around food. And I think most dieting stories start very innocently. uh, And you know, I think it's better to catch yourself with dieting, uh, you know, as soon as you can uh, to learn like what you were talking about, you know, how it, how to listen to your body. Uh, that's how I teach my clients. their intuitive eating. It, the point of that is really learning how to be present with your body and listening to what it needs. Cause like you were saying, I mean, the diet industry is a $72 billion industry wow. and it's, you know, it's trying to grab everyone's attention from, you know, every direction. And it can be so confusing to follow, you know, the latest diet trends or like even just, um, you know, I think sneakily like like a healthy lifestyle has kind of crept into dieting as well, where it's, Definitely. you know, focusing on clean eating and only eating healthy, um, which, you know, also can lead to an unhealthy relationship with food. So I think, uh, yeah, for me, honestly, any, any form of dieting really can lead to an unhealthy relationship with food and it, you know, I mean, doctors recommended it, like medical professionals are so quick to recommend it. And so I think we're really uh, in a time now where, you know, through intuitive eating and health at every size, we're really trying to change that.
0: Um, okay. And
1: also just to say, intuitive eating has been around for a long time. It was founded in 1995 um, by two dietitians. So oh, it's wow, just I didn't interesting know that. to, yeah, to know certain things have been around for a while. And um, I think it's uh, definitely gained popularity uh, in today's world.
0: Hmm. It's interesting. And earlier you spoke about like, watching your parents and their relationship with food I just wanted to go back to that because I think it's so interesting with my parents my mom has always been so great with everything around food and exercise she always said to me Annie everything in moderation and I was always like yeah whatever and then like now I tell myself that and I'm like god I wish I had have just listened to her whereas my dad was obsessed with like just making sure he did that extra step or he was cutting out potatoes that week. And like, really like, he's obsessed with like numbers on the scale as well. Whereas mom and I are like, who needs scales? Like, and it's so interesting because I feel like so many people and so many women learn this behavior off their mothers because they're obviously the pressure is so much more for women than men. And I'm not saying that's not pressure on men, but the way we need to look and what we need to kind of fit into is, is crazy compared to men. But I think it's so interesting that for me, it was me watching my dad and watching him obsessively exercise or obsess over like trying to do like healthy eating. And it's so funny that it's it's not my mom, it's my dad. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, definitely. So interesting. Yeah,
1: it is, it's definitely more... At least, you know, it's interesting because not everyone's talking about their, you know, disordered relationship with food, nor, you know, do people maybe realize that they have a disordered relationship with food. And so I think even the numbers, you know, there's probably so much, so many more men in our, in society than we realize that struggle with their relationship with food as, you know, same for women. Um, But it's definitely... Yeah, definitely is thought of to uh, be more pervasive for women.
0: And I think like it's hard enough as a woman to speak out about disordered eating, but for a man, it must be 10 times harder because, because there isn't as much pressure on looking a certain way. I mean, if they are feeling that way and they are struggling with eating and exercise and disordered eating, then it'd be so much harder to speak out because I don't know, it's just, it's not, it's kind of like still frowned upon for men to be completely honest about certain things and to be vulnerable. And even though we've like had this movement of like, it's okay for men to cry and like things like that, we still like it's like, it's still hard for them to be vulnerable. So I definitely just want to acknowledge the men. And if there's any men listening who think, Oh, I definitely, you know, struggle with a bit of disordered eating or orthorexia or like pressures to look a certain way. I just want to acknowledge them. And for this, yeah, just to help everyone and like, not just women as well. Um, So I just wanted to say that, but in terms of where I'm at right now, I went through Bulimia and binge eating and purging. And I kind of came out of that and then went into more orthorexia and obsessively calorie counting. And I look back on photos of myself and I was so skinny. I was a size six, sometimes a size four. And I thought that I was like plus size. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being plus size, but I. Like look back on photos and I'm like, holy shit, the person I saw in the mirror did not look like that. And I think it's just, it's insane to me how our brain can like, literally like change our vision like that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I was actually watching uh, this video someone posted earlier of a clip of America's from, you know, back in the day of America's Next Top Model. And it was this girl, she, I think they said she was like a, a size four, a four or six. And they were calling her the plus size model.
0: That is insane.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's really crazy how we can, you know, through what we learn. And, you know, I mean, it really comes back to, the fat phobia that exists in society uh, and in the world that, you know, comes back that, you know, uh, shifts the lens of how we see the world and how we see ourselves. Um, Definitely. And yeah, yeah. It can be crazy to look back at pictures after we've healed our relationship with food and kind of just from a different lens, you know, see what our journey looked like.
0: I mean, when I was growing up, like, on on magazines you'd see everyone was size four and like on social media like at the time I'm not sure if you were ever on tumblr have you ever Mm -hmm. heard of that platform yeah um so that was what was like in fashion when I was sort of around 16 or like 14 to 16 so I was always on tumblr and tumblr was this for anyone who never went on there it was pro anorexia so there were so many photos of women that were sickly thin and it was like it it literally shared things about eating disorders disordered eating and anorexia and like people would have pages solely to like promote anorexia it was literally the most sick thing and I was consuming all of that information and at the time and I don't know whether you and the people around you like went through this phase as well but it was popular to have a thigh gap do you remember mm. that, or did you ever experience
1: that? I I do remember that, and I know that my body is not is not made to have a thigh gap Me genetically. Either. <laughs> I do, do not have
0: one. <laughs> oh gosh, and yeah, it's it's so crazy because it was such an unachievable target, and I remember even the guys at school would say, "I won't date anyone that doesn't have a thigh gap," and this was in high school. And like they were just spitting out all of the information that they also consumed online. So like sure. bless them. But yeah, like it was so crazy because it's literally the way our bodies and our bones are structured. And and we and I was trying to get this target that I would only achieve if I was anorexic. Like that is the only time my body would allow me to have a thigh gap, is if I was actually sick. And I think that in itself is just like. I don't know how people like in my generation grew up and didn't have an eating disorder, to be honest, because all of the pressure around us, it literally made it virtually impossible to not have some kind of negative relationship with your body or with food or exercise.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting, you know, being in the line of work I I'm in and just being around, you know, when I'm in social situations, it's just interesting to pick up on little, you know, food rules that people have. And just even if they don't have, you know, they don't struggle with, you know, this with disordered eating, but they have, you know, some disordered thoughts and relationship with food. Um, It's just interesting, the spectrum of, like, I think if you, most people, if you live in today's society, uh, I think definitely have some you know, rules or, or something around Definitely.
0: Food. So do you say, just out of curiosity, because because I've learned so much now and I really am very good at picking up when I'm sort of saying something to myself or when I am starting some new rule, I'm very quick to kind of shut it down. So I notice it in other people like you were saying. And I tell myself, you know, don't say anything because you know, I don't want to be sort of pushing down their throat being like, you've got to be body positivity, but body positive. And like, you, you can't be saying that to yourself. And like, I don't want to be too intense with people, but I'm just curious, do you sort of say anything to them in the moment or do you just sort of notice it and like, let them be and not try and control other people? Too? Cause I am very, very much wanting to say something because I've been there I and I want to help other people, but I know, I sort of am like, am I crossing a boundary? So what would you you do in those situations?
1: Yeah, I think first I, you know, would say like that's really great that you're thinking of that and like it's coming from this caring place that you know what that's like and know what it's like to be, you know, out of that. And so it's coming from this caring place that you want to help them. Um, I think it really depends on the situation Um, it's come up in social situations where like you said like I've just noticed it and haven't said anything Um, I think if it were a close friend I might I would wait and say something out of the social situation and more in private and not where I'm like educating or lecturing them but more just like sitting down heart to heart like hey you know you know, just asking them if that's something that they want to dive into and want to talk about because, you know, if people aren't ready to hear information, they won't, you know, they won't digest it in the way. The way that that it's meant. Yeah. Yeah. Until they're ready to hear it. So I think it's how you go about it. And I think it's better to uh, ask them if they're interested to hear before you yeah, just start dumping information on them.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Um, so how can we stop putting food on a pedestal? Because... I know when I was younger and cutting out different food groups, I felt like when I did eat that food, like I would tell myself, I can eat that food if I do this. Like it was like this reward and I definitely put mm-hmm. different foods on a pedestal. So then sometimes I would end up eating them way more because I knew it was like this forbidden fruit that I couldn't have and I could only have it if I was good. So then I wanted that like reward factor. So how do we, how do we stop putting certain foods or food groups on a pedestal?
1: Yeah, so that's a great insight to have. And I think that just by the question that you ask shows that you, you know, are well into your food healing journey, um, just with the awareness of that question, because, you know, most people in the beginning of their food healing journey wouldn't notice that that's what they're doing. Um, They just feel like they're out of control around this certain kind of food and might not understand why. And so, um, you know, by putting foods on a pedestal, it's like if you take a child into a toy store and tell them that there's a specific specific toy that they can't touch, they're going to be drawn to that food that they can't touch because mm-hmm. you've now given this, I think I just said food, but in the example, um, yeah. you know, they've told them that. That yeah, they, you've told them that they can't touch this specific toy that they weren't even thinking about before. Yeah. But by, you know, giving it a name and saying that it's off limits now, you know, it's all they're thinking about. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, with humans, like we want what we can't have. Um, so by setting these arbitrary rules to begin with is what's drawing you to those specific kind of foods. Um, awesome. So. So yeah, through intuitive eating, there's a few um, different principles that really get into this. One of them is legalizing all foods. So really getting rid of the good, bad, healthy, unhealthy mentality and really working through neutralizing all foods.
0: Yep, definitely. And I think for me, something that's really helped is if I'm craving a pizza that night, eat the pizza. And you know what? I eat it way less than than I would if I did put that food on a pedestal and if I did tell myself I can't eat that food. I just eat it when I'm craving it and then therefore I don't eat it as much because I've I've satisfied that craving. Now moving on to something else. Do you know what I mean? So like it yeah, exactly what you were saying. When you put it on a pedestal, you probably end up eating it more. So I think for me, I now allow myself to literally eat whatever I want but sometimes and lately I've realized that because I know I suffered so much with bulimia and with cutting out different food groups I now sort of I feel like I have not enough rules if you know what I mean like I I feel like sometimes my stomach is feeling like crap because I haven't been eating enough healthy food. And I think I'm probably going to answer my own question here because I think what, what I need, what I think I need to do and correct me if I'm wrong is just start introducing more healthy vegetables rather than being like, all right, no, you can't have this, this day, or you can only have junk food this day. Rather than doing that, I think I just need to introduce more vegetables and therefore I'm getting those healthy meals and then can have the quote-unquote unhealthy meals when, when I want to or when I feel like it. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs>
1: A lot of thoughts on that. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> so first, I like how you are thinking about what can I add in to my diet instead of, you know, dieting is focusing on like taking away and restricting and not allowing. And I think it's really helpful in the food healing journey, yeah, to shift that to what can I add in instead of taking away. Um, Also, just on the top of my mind, um, switching the language around unhealthy and healthy to more play foods and nourishing foods. So, you know, play foods and, and yeah, play foods being you know, the foods that aren't the most uh, nutrient dense, but they bring you joy and they make you feel happy and they're providing, you know, a, an emotional uh, positive to your life. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's so much more than just the nutrient density in foods that it can, you know, provide something good for you in your life. Um, so yeah, switching language, I think language is really important um to yeah play foods and nutrient-dense foods
0: yeah definitely because I am such a sucker for saying good and bad this is good and bad and like being very black and white like that but I mean Mm -hmm. this is part of the journey like I do have to constantly remind myself that it's not good and bad and that it's okay to live life and I love food so much I love cooking and it's Amazing to, you know, explore different recipes and cook different food. And it's not, you're right, it's not healthy or unhealthy or good or bad. It's just, you know, one's maybe more indulgent than the other. And even that, I don't even know if that's the right word to say, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's, well, it's it, yeah. Sorry, you go. Uh,
1: it, you know, it can just provide, you know, a different emotion or uh, feeling for you.
0: Yeah, definitely um so my next question for you is can I I just wanted to also
1: also, uh, mention with that last question just one more thing if that's okay sure um so also you were mentioning um you know should I basically like how should I eat should I try to stay away from these junk foods should I or you were saying should I just try to add in more vegetables and I think what's important is Really, yeah, focusing on eating at least three meals a day and really feeding yourself what your body needs. Because Mm -hmm. the reason that we binge eat is because we are depriving ourselves of food. And binge eating is just a response. It's your body's response to deprivation. And so when we're not feeding ourselves enough food, I know binge eating can feel like this thing, like, oh, I just want to stop binge eating. Like, this, it's this annoying thing that I'm doing. Like, I remember writing in my journal so many times, like, this is my last binge, I swear, or like, I just want to stop binge eating. And the binge eating is just a symptom of the root problem of the restriction and deprivation in the first place. And so it's actually your body, like saving your life, because it doesn't have the proper nourishment that it needs. So it's really at this point where it's like your body yelling at you, you know, that it needs food. And that's why it can feel like this out of control feeling. um, When you do binge eat, because your body is so hungry at that point. Um, And so, and so really focusing on eating, you know, nourishing meals, they can have vegetables, they don't have to have vegetables. I think it's important to, you know, focus on trying to get uh, protein, carbs and fat into your meal and like a well-balanced meal because that keeps your body, you know, full for a longer period of time. Um, not every meal needs to look like that, but if you are eating throughout the day and eating nourishing meals, you won't be as hungry to eat. You know, a large amount of play food because you're nourished from the meals that you're eating.
0: Wow. I really needed to hear that. And I'm so glad you stopped me because I, as you were talking, then I just had a moment because I realized that I'm still not eating enough food. Like at the moment, I go to work and because I only work a couple of hours, I don't really have a break at, you know, like 12 o'clock or midday or lunchtime when I'm hungry. So I then, eat maybe like two o'clock, three o'clock. And by that point I am starving and I end up binge eating. And I kind of have told myself, well, I don't binge eat anymore because like I'm allowed to eat whatever I want, but I do, I come home and I binge eat. And then I'll end up eating something that doesn't make me feel any good. I'll end up eating cheese and biscuits, but by not being like organized by bringing myself a lunch and it doesn't have to be a quote unquote healthy lunch even just the fact that I'm not eating at the time that my body is hungry, I then come home and I'm absolutely exhausted. And even if I come home and I eat like a decent meal after work, but it's later, I will have no energy in the afternoon about three, three o'clock, four o'clock. I absolutely crash. And even when I'm having three meals a day, I've realized it's actually not enough for me at the moment. I feel like my body is needing more and I just need like, you know, a snack or two out of those three eating windows to keep me going. And I keep telling myself, oh, I'm tired. Like there's something wrong with me. I'm like, must have chronic fatigue or it must be my endometriosis playing up. And I'm just so sick of my body, you know, working against me because I'm so tired, but I've realized just with you talking then, like, it's not me and my body being tired, I'm hungry. Like I need, I need fuel Mm -hmm. to keep going. And I just either haven't eaten, you know, eat enough protein, fat and carbs, or like, I just haven't eaten at all. So therefore, of course, my body is wanting to shut down and rest because it has no fuel. There's no fuel in my tank to keep me going. And yeah, I think I've just, had a moment there where I've just realized, holy moly, I need to eat more. Like, even though I don't have as negative of a relationship with my eating and my body as I used to, I still am not feeding myself enough. And I still am telling my body, oh, my stupid body, why am I so tired? And like working against my body when you're right, my body is literally just trying to survive and my body is just screaming at me like eat just eat <laughs> we need food <laughs> so thank yeah. you for saying that because I definitely just had a bit of a epiphany there
1: <laughs> yeah I'm so happy for you that's a really uh, big and really helpful realization to have
0: because mm, sometimes I think that I'm past my you know bad relationship but I've still got I've still got plenty to work on and I think it will probably always be a journey for me. And that's, that's another question I have for you because I now know that I'm in like a way better place than I used to be. And I no longer purge. I no longer have bulimia. But I wanted to just ask you like, is there anything I can do to stop the guilt that I have? Because I feel really guilty and I feel so much regret for treating my body like crap for probably about eight years of being bulimic and making myself vomit. And to this day, I feel really disappointed in myself. I feel really guilty that I did that to my body. And, you know, I didn't have the knowledge then that I do now, but how do I, how do I stop feeling so guilty? Cause that isn't helping me either.
1: Yeah. And I relate to this so much in my healing journey as well, just realizing like how uh, mean I'd been to myself through this journey. And yeah, just the, you know, through dieting, like you pick up and carry so much guilt and shame towards yourself. And I'm also just curious how long uh were you dieting and or you know I mean dieting is like just restricting your food in any way how long would you say that journey was for you before you really started healing your relationship with food
0: Hmm. well I'd say it would probably be longer than eight years it probably would be about 10 years but I think You know what, even longer, because I think it's only probably been like two years where I've actually started letting myself eat like every food group and where I have stopped (laughs) counting calories and stuff like that. So it's probably only been two years where I've been fully kind of, and I'm not even fully sort of recovered, but yeah, it's been probably about four or five years since I've been bulimic, but all the other little things and the more minor, what we think are minor, (laughs) those Mm -hmm. things like they still trickle into my everyday life. So.
1: Yeah. And, and the reason I ask that is because, you know, you said maybe 10 years that this has been going on. And so, you know, it can take a while to truly heal your relationship with food and your body. Like I still sometimes notice just like tiny, things that just rules that I had in place that once in a while, I'll just be like, why, why do I do that? And kind of realizing that it's tied back to diet culture. And so I think it can, it can take a while to, you know, fully uncover all of those things that have been so ingrained in us for so long. Um, And I think it's really important to a big part of the journey for me was the journey of self-acceptance and, You know, it's not your fault that dieting is so pervasive in our society. It's not your fault that we live in a fat phobic, you know, world. And really just forgiving yourself for, you know, none of this started because of anything that you did wrong. Like you were just a human growing up and existing in society, trying to do the best that you could with the information that you had. And, you know, Like in that study, you know, it was including the clinical and disordered eating. It was 75% of women in that study struggled with their relationship with food and their bodies. And, you know, I think really just having compassion and forgiveness for yourself, towards yourself, um, Mm -hmm. is a really important place to, to start.
0: Yeah. And that statistic just really encourages me to speak out about it more because, I mean, I feel very isolated. Still, when I talk to my friends, it feels like they they don't understand sometimes. And really, I think most of them are probably just uncomfortable to talk about it. And they may not have been through something as intense as I went through, but still, I think that they would understand and have some kind of sort of, I don't know, they just would understand in some way, but they don't feel comfortable talking about it. And it's it's like, they feel, you know, shame or feel like, I just feel like there's this like perfectionism and we always are striving to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So we, we aren't comfortable with admitting our faults and admitting that we, you know, do struggle sometimes. So I really want to talk more openly on social media about the fact that I went through an eating disorder because I didn't know that those numbers were so high, like until you've just said that. I would have had no idea. I still felt quite isolated in this situation. I knew there were others out there that went through this obviously, but I didn't realize that the numbers were that high. And I think that like for me, just admitting that I had an eating disorder was me being like, you know what? I don't always have to be perfect and I don't always have to like be striving to be perfect because that's another thing. Me me saying, you know, how do I get over the guilt? Like how do I move on from that? Because I feel like I am trying to strive to be 100% fully healed, you know, 100% Mm. fully over these things. And like, do you think that that is an unattainable target to be 100% fully okay and over everything? Because sometimes I feel like I'm sabotaging myself by still striving for that perfection, but in another way, like I'm striving Mm. to be perfectly healed. And do you think that that's like unattainable?
1: <laughs> uh yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. Um you know, with dieting, it it is very much around, you know, trying to I mean, you know, from from where it starts, you know, when you're younger and you just want to lose some weight, you know, you're you're striving for this I'm doing this in air quotes, but like perfect body. And yeah. And a lot of, and even you know, in society, just like the rat race of trying to be successful and trying to, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it depends what your values are, you know, what you're, what you're going after, trying to win the game of life. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think there's a lot of perfectionism that exists when you, you know, are trying to keep up, and and I think it's interesting, the word being used. like the word target. I think that just really allowing yourself to lean into this process and like be comfortable with things not being perfect. I think leaning more into that, I started to find like the beauty in imperfection. And, you know, with dieting, I think uh, our minds can look at things in such a black and white way. And I think also a little later in my in my journey I started to learn to be more comfortable with the gray of life and um yeah just being more comfortable with things not being perfect and Mm. and learning how to see more of the beauty in that and I think as far as you know I I think I think you uncovered something in what you asked (laughs) is that you're looking for perfection in your food healing journey and body healing journey Mm. and you know this this is a journey and it's ever evolving. And I don't think it's necessarily like a target to try to get to with it. Um, I think intuitive eating is a great framework because it does kind of provide, um, comfort. Like they're kind of like intuitive eating, um, there's 10 principles to intuitive eating, and they kind of almost act as like training wheels when you're coming off of dieting. It's a helpful framework to go through um, Mm -hmm. to help heal your relationship with food. But yeah, I think looking at your journey as like trying to get to a target is kind of noticing like diet culture seeping into that.
0: Definitely. It's like, okay, well, I'm over striving for the perfect body, but now I'm like striving for the perfect mind. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'm just target to a different spot and it's not, it isn't helpful at all. And I think I just want to send myself love and everyone else that's listening so much love who is on this journey and trying to heal themselves, but just take a breath and I just need to stop trying to be perfectly healed and be I don't know sometimes I just sometimes I feel like well I should I'm not allowed to like talk on things or talk about having a eating disorder if I'm not fully healed yet do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is just absolute bullshit like I think it's so helpful to listen to people who are on the journey and like at the same point as you and not like as in as in myself and not be fully healed. And I think that's helpful too. And sometimes I think, yeah, even with this podcast, I'm like, I can't talk about certain subjects unless I know absolutely everything, but like the strive for perfection, it it goes further than just body image and things like that. It's so ingrained into us. Yeah. It's a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, It's almost like I feel like the food and body healing journey and all of the things that come with it, like the perfectionism and like it's all so deep and and vast, like we could have, you know, conversation for days and uncover, you know, so much with it, you know, just through talking.
0: Yeah, definitely. And just on the strive, the striving to be perfect and things like that on that topic, how does social mm-hmm. media play a role in our striving to be perfect and in in the our thinking towards our bodies and body positivity? So, how does social media play that role?
1: Yeah, so I think social media is such a double-edged sword, and I, you know, I'm sure people can can resonate with that feeling. Um, I think it depends how, you know, what, who and what you're following on social media. Um, So something that I do with all of my clients is have them do a social media detox. And so I have them go, you know, participate on their social media and look at who they're following and notice, you know, how the person that they're following is making them feel. Like, are they comparing themselves to that person? You know, does following this person make you, you know, want to go on a diet, or does this person make you feel like you need to be exactly like them? And really becoming aware of who you're following, because just like diet culture, you know, uh, slowly seeps into our brains for you know however many years that you've been dieting. Um, that can happen on social media too. So, you know, you're on so, if you're on social media a lot or even, you know, just for any amount of time, I think it's really important to look at who you're following and notice how they're making you feel and ask if that is, you know, someone that you want to be investing your time in um, based on, yeah, how they're making you feel. And so yeah, I'll definitely. have my clients, yeah, I'll have them, unfollow you know the people that aren't making them feel good and start to follow um more people you know just with different kinds of bodies and just that really broaden your view of what you know the plethora of diverse people out there you know are and really learn how to celebrate you know differences instead of
0: comparing yourself definitely and I think just on that, like noticing your thoughts, I think is such an important one because lately I have been really trying to tune into what my thoughts are and how I'm thinking. And I, over the weekend, I went camping. So I had my phone turned off for two nights and oh my God, I realized how much Instagram like really clouds my head. And it's because of who I'm following. And I know that I have that choice, but it just, it quickly, my following like so quickly changes and I'm like, oh my God, I've like started to follow these people again. And I've started to follow those people for, you know, quote unquote body goals. And yeah, it just happens so quickly. So I think what you said is so helpful. And I think doing that very frequently, like not not just like once every few months, like do it more frequently than that because these people sit back in and you end up following them. And also, I just want to introduce everyone to the mute button, which is so amazing because there's so many people that, you know, are friends in my life that I don't necessarily want to be seeing everything they're doing every day. Or, you know, some people might be triggering and I don't want to unfollow them, but that mute button is so perfect (laughs) because you don't have to have everything that they're doing, you know, loud in your face as a reminder because Instagram just feels like this big, big comparison. And I more recently have been doing what you were speaking about by following different body sizes on humans and, like, just following, yeah, not the same type of person all the time and really broadening that and I started following a lot of body acceptance accounts and you know women that are really celebrating their curves and celebrating their body and telling everyone that it's okay no matter what you look like and following accounts like that I'm like oh I feel like I feel good in myself and I feel happy but then you know it's, it's hard because, you know, there's nothing wrong with the other women that I'm following that are smaller than me or whatever. There's, it's not like they're doing anything wrong, but does it make me feel good? No, it doesn't. So I can either follow, unfollow or mute and that's all. Like I don't need to, sometimes I tell myself I have to keep following them because I need to work on my relationship with my mind and myself. So I should be okay with these women who are you know stick thin and but it's like I can be okay with them but I also don't have to follow them on my social media and see their lives every day like it's fine to unfollow people it's fine to mute people because we're meant to be going on social media to have fun and to feel good but sometimes I go on Instagram and I don't feel good I feel like shit (laughs) so I need to you know it's our responsibility to make make it a fun place or if you just feel like you can't make it a fun place you know we don't really need to have it
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and i think you know the emphasis of noticing how you feel i think um you know the the foundation of healing your relationship with food and your body and getting away you know with dieting we look we've looked outside of ourselves for so long and when we learn how to eat intuitively It's really this journey of like coming home to yourself and learning how to listen to your body again. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think
1: even just this small practice of noticing how you feel on social media and like connecting to your body and just like really being like slow and really checking in with yourself, you know, what thoughts are coming up and like what's going on in my body, how do I feel is just like one small practice to start learning how to connect and listen to and trust your body again.
0: Yeah, definitely. And even just in the morning when you're about to make a celery juice or something like that, just or a matcha latte, like just questioning do I feel like this? Is this actually what I want to consume right now? Or am I doing it because I saw somebody post a reel the other day where they were having celery juice? You know what I mean? Like just, yeah, what you were saying about intuitive eating, like. I think this is a lesson for myself to just ask myself, what do I actually feel like? And am I still eating the things that are, you know, popular on Instagram? (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Asking yourself why I'm eating this. What's my intention behind this?
0: Yeah, definitely. So what are your thoughts on complimenting someone for weight loss? Because this is something that I used to do quite a lot and lately I've really had to be like don't say that Annie don't say that and because I know that it sometimes for me I feel like it was harmful in the past when people told me that I had lost weight I would be like cool I'm going to restrict myself even more because this is working so I just want to know your Mm -hmm. thoughts is it ever okay to compliment someone on their weight what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah so I I don't think it's it's helpful to comment on, on someone's weight, good, like, or whatever the thought process is around it. Um, You know, with, we all have a weight that our body is happiest at, and that's, you know, going to look different for everyone. And I think what the thought of wanting to compliment someone on their weight loss, and I don't mean this to say that you're like, you know, that someone's a bad person because they have this thought. It's just shows how much of a problem fat phobia is in mm. our world.
0: And it um, shows, it shows it, your values, doesn't it?
1: It is a good mirror to show, you know, where your mind is going for you know what you're thinking about and what you're caring about um but i think it's really good to flip it back on like oh this is where my fat phobia is and this is where i can continue to deepen my relationship around uh my body and other people's bodies and um yeah, just, I think it really comes back to exposing where your fat phobia still lies. Um, And also in intuitive eating, you know, some people lose weight, some people gain weight. It's not the point of intuitive eating. And so it's not something that's like celebrated or, and also, you know, you're not, you're also not a bad person and being punished because you're losing weight. Um, It really just comes back like, it's not the point of it. It's just a byproduct of what happens when you go through your food healing journey, either your body needs to lose weight or your body needs to gain weight, depending on, you know, what behaviors you've been partaking in. Um, And it's just, you know, where your body wants to land and trusting in that and uh, yeah, not shaming or like accepting all bodies.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think I tell myself, you know, when when I sort of have the thought of, oh, she looks really great. I should tell her that she's lost weight. And then in my head, I say to myself, you know, you don't want to tell your friend that that is what you appreciate and that's what you value about them. Because me saying that out loud means... I see that you've lost weight and I think that's great. And I'm congratulating you for losing weight. But really, where my values stand, if I'm very honest with myself, is that I don't care what my friend's weight is. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they look like in clothes or like whether they are, you know, lighter or heavier. I couldn't care less. But it's the conditioning and all of the shit and all of the baggage that I have that is showing itself when I think to myself oh you should compliment her because she's lost weight and I'm like no that's all my that's all my insecurities and that's all my stuff showing up but if I go back down deep and if I look deep in myself do I value that do I think that's important hell no what I think is important is what's on the inside a hundred percent and I do not care how heavy or light my friends are or what they look like at all I couldn't give a shit so I think that it's just important to kind of question you know is that important to say does it need to be said no what is really important what do you actually value in your friends and if you think about what you really value it is nothing to do with physical appearance so I really yeah I agree I think it just it just doesn't really need to be said and yeah
1: (laughs) yeah and like you said it it can you know I think it without saying it it's kind of also So you're saying like, oh, I don't think you looked good how you looked before you lost this weight too. So it kind of can reinforce those disordered uh, habits as well when you're, you know, reinforcing that someone looks better because of weight loss.
0: Definitely. So just before we go, do you have any helpful tips or tricks to help us start seeing our worth and help us start, you know, loving ourselves for who we are? Yeah,
1: I think this really
0: starts with
1: the journey of self-compassion and really just having forgiveness towards yourself, like even just taking it back to that last example of noticing that you had of having this thought about your friend that lost weight and like not getting mad at yourself for having that thought, like really you know, noticing that that's where, you know, the brainwashing and conditioning has come from that's like make you, you know, have this thought. And it's, you know, awesome that you're even realizing it. Um, And I think it's about turning those negative thoughts that we have about ourselves or being really hard on ourselves, and turning it into self compassion. And also not to say, you know, I think also in this world, there can be uh, like, what's called bypassing, like, uh, not actually dealing with what's underneath it, um, or, you know, true the root of what's going on. Um, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, I think, you know, through dieting, we just go through some feeling so much shame and guilt that we don't have a supportive relationship with ourselves. And so I think really starting with self-compassion and just noticing, like, how you're talking to yourself and how you're treating yourself um can really start to help you become aware of that and notice how you can shift treating yourself in a better way. Like really thinking about would I speak to a child this way or would I speak to I like you know my best my best friend in this way. And a lot of the time, you know, coming off of dieting, the answer is no. Like I would never speak to another person this way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, yeah, focusing on thinking about how you would talk to someone else can be helpful to uh, think about how to speak to yourself differently.
0: Yeah, I really like that one, actually. I'm definitely going to implement that because... Yeah, I talk to myself, like I listen to my thoughts sometimes and I'm like, oh my God, I am an asshole. (laughs) Like, how do I talk to myself like that? And sometimes I like look at my mind as if it's like this other person and I'm like, how dare you? Like, but then I guess it kind of perpetuates when you get frustrated at yourself having those thoughts. So yeah, I like what you said about just, just noticing the thoughts, noticing that they're coming up, not getting irritated by them, but you know, just reiterating, okay, I'm, I've am i had that thought, but now like, let's have a different thought. And how would my friend speak to me in this situation? Or how would I speak to a friend in this situation? And talking to yourself like a friend rather than your enemy. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, really, and I, I th- really like that too.
1: Yeah. And I think again, just to point out, because I think, coming from diet culture, it can be really easy if you become aware of those thoughts to get upset with yourself for like having those thoughts in the first place. And part of the practice is to uh, really show compassion for those thoughts and for the place that you're coming from with that. Um, I think it's really important to have compassion for yourself uh, even with the thoughts coming up, even though they're thoughts that you don't wanna think. yeah, just really having compassion for yourself and not getting upset.
0: Mm, definitely, just having that compassion and that love for yourself. And yeah, sometimes it's really hard to feel that way and we get swept up in all the noise. But yeah, just taking a second to check in with ourselves, send ourselves that love and compassion. I think that's really beautiful. Uh, so before we go, and I've absolutely loved this chat, by the way, this has been so helpful <laughs> for me. And I think- Yeah, I'm so it's glad- helpful- because it's helpful for me, I know that it's going to be so helpful to the people listening because there's so many women and men, I'm sure, that are listening to this that are going through a similar journey to me and they might be, you know, further ahead than me or they might not be as far ahead. You know, wherever they are on their journey, I think this conversation has been really helpful and I'd love for people to be able to contact you or to be able to work with you. So what can you offer our listeners? Like, do you do sessions that they can book in with you or how, how does that work? How can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. I feel like we could even have a part two that I feel like there's so much to talk about within this conversation. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I run a five month one-on-one coaching program. Um, where I help people, you know, stop feeling out of control around food and their bodies and help them to get to a place of feeling peace and relaxation around food. Um, So yeah, that's a five month uh, one-on-one coaching program. And I offer free discovery calls uh, before I work with anyone to really make sure that we both feel we're a good fit to work with one another. Um, so you can sign up for that call if that's something that interests you on my website at www.SamanthashermanCoaching.com. And you can also just learn more about my coaching style there. And, uh, you know, I have testimonials from other clients that I've worked with uh, that you can learn about there as well. And then also, additionally, I do have a free training coming up Um where I'm going to be teaching four foundational steps to heal your relationship with food and your body. So that's a free way to get in on a training and learn more from me. And then if the coaching program is something that interests you, uh, that's a more deep dive way to really go through the journey of healing your relationship with food and your body.
0: That is amazing. That's really incredible that you offer something for free. And I think that shows where your values lie. And I think that shows how much you care for other women and how much you really want to help other women, because, you know, there's a lot of coaches that you see that, you know, are just doing it for the money and they don't have that real warmth and love and care about them. And the fact that you have that free offering and also a free discovery call, I think is just amazing. Hats off to you. And I would love for anyone listening to work with Sam. I think that you are just amazing. I love everything that you're doing and I will definitely put your links in the show notes. So anyone that wants to find Sam, I will pop the website link there and any other links that I can find I'll put there. (laughs) So it's easy for everyone to click on there. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I think everyone is going to absolutely love this chat and get so much out of it.
1: Oh, I'm so happy. And thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed, always enjoy conversations around this topic and have really enjoyed
0: talking with you today. Thank you don't think that i've forgotten about the deep breath that we have to do at the end of every single episode because i have not forgotten but before we do that i just wanted to tell you about sam's program the five-month program and what is involved so basically you'll get two 50-minute calls per month and one weekly check-in via messenger and you can also access her via messenger if you have any extra questions and that is over a five-month period, and I think it would just be the most loving and gorgeous thing you can do for your body to show your body that you really appreciate it and to start mending that relationship that you have with your body image. So I'd love for you all to reach out to Sam. I've popped the link in the show notes, and I've also put the link to the statistics that Sam was referring to in there as well. If you love looking at the data, then you can click that link and check that out for yourself. But before we go, I would love for you to take a deep breath with me. Breathe in and out. Breathe in. And out relax your shoulders unclench your jaw relax that space in between your eyebrows and give yourself a very big hug I send love to you wherever you are in your journey perhaps this isn't a message for you but perhaps it's a message for one of your friends or your family members or somebody you know I would love for you to share this episode with someone who's struggling I think Sam can really help people who are just not sure how and where to start and I would love for you to share this episode with a friend it helps my podcast grow and also it helps spread the love and spread the message of improving our health and improving the love that we have for ourselves and the people around us. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a fabulous day.